You know a movie I just saw again the other day, which is fucking, like, mind-blowing, and I haven't seen it since it came out? It's Munich. Oh, Munich! Munich fucking rules. Munich is awesome. That movie was Eric Bana kicking fucking ass. Dude, every movie with Jews, we're the ones getting killed. Munich flips it on its ear. Dude, we're capping motherfuckers. Not only killing, but fucking, like, taking names. If any of us get late tonight, it's because of Eric Bana. I agree with that. I agree. I ain't Suck got ass. no motherfucker. So I fuck your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Westside, bad boy killers. You know who the realest is, niggas. We bring it to First off, fuck your bitch in the click you claim. Westside, when we ride, come equipped with game. You claim to be a player, but I fucked your wife. We bust on bad boys, niggas fuck for life. Plus, Buffy trying to see me weak. Hearts I rip. Vicky Smalls and Junior Mafia, some mark ass bitches. We keep on coming while we running for your juice that he gonna keep on busting at the boots you know the rules little caesar go ask your homie how i leave you cut your young ass up leave you in peace now be deceased little kim don't fuck around with real cheese quick to snatch your ugly ass off the streets so fuck peace i let the niggas know it's on for life don't let the west side ride the night <laughs> bad boy murdered on wax and kill fuck with me and get your caps pill you know sleep grab your blocks when you see tupac call the cops when you see I don't even know why I'm on this track. Y'all niggas ain't even on my level. I'ma let my little homies ride on you, bitch made yeah, ass yeah, bad boy. Fuck bitch. Up, yeah. Feel. Get out the way, yo, get out the way. Hello there. Episode 75. Stay the monkey. My name's Ian Loring. As always, I'm joined by Foster. Oh, Mark, we got a special oh, yeah. guest, we got, yeah, hi, 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 oh, we got a special guest today, special guest, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Hello, darling, I'm now. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's not well, and, uh. Oh, we've got a good one for you today. Oh, we've got a good one for you today. Right, and I hope that weirded out everybody. Um, so, coming up on... <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I think no, I was just going to continue. So, that's good. <laughs> that's good. It probably completely wrecked his voice, and if his kid ever heard it, I think he'd probably have nightmares for months, but... Uh, <laughs> but hey, uh, but yeah, uh, hey guys, and uh, it's episode 75, we've got Noel with us again, uh, which is awesome, so um, uh, he specifically requested coming on to this show, um, because of uh, the- I demanded main... it. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, he said, <laughs> he actually texted me saying, I will rape you if you don't let me come on. No, I said I will rape you if you let me come on. Oh, that's true. That's true. So oh, now you've got... sorry. Did I... Oh, you've misunderstood, haven't no, you? No, no, you've got to catch me on a Wednesday. <laughs> you see, that's the thing. Like, you've got to catch me on a Wednesday and make sure I don't know it's you. So just do that voice. Just do that voice, yeah. Just catch you on a Wednesday or catch you drunk. I know which one's easier. Yeah, but if I was drunk, it wouldn't be right. <laughs> no, because you'd let me. It's fully consensual. Yeah. <laughs> You see, you gotta think about these things, Noel. You gotta think these through. God knows I do. I oh, God knows it. I do! Oh. 
Right, anyway, uh, so we've got a review of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the big Marvel film, which which has proven to be another box office smash for them. I believe the opening weekend actually did slightly better than the Captain America sequel, which is uh, which is quite something, at least in the US. Um, and we're also going to be starting our two-pack-a-thon, uh, which I know Noel was uh, very excited to uh, to be joining us for. Uh, Noel, why didn't you tell us what, what, what we're doing in the two-pack-a-thon this week? Well, uh, thanks, uh, Ian. We're uh, actually this week we're going to do in the two packathon for the first uh, issue of the two packathon. We're going to be doing 1994's Juice. Juice. Nine eight two. Ah. Nine eight two. Yeah. Just completely gassed. But yeah, we're going to be bringing the juice. Ah, you got to bring the juice. Got to bring the juice. You got to bring the juice. We've got all the juice now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got all the juice now. Um, and we, we'll get it. Oh, spoilers. He gets the juice. Um, <laughs> um, so and it's um, umbongo. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> uh, um, so um, I've lost my train of thought now. Uh, dude and a monkey at gmail dot com at Ian Loring at Dude Foss at Film Rants and at Dude and a Monkey. And uh, Mark, you've barely talked so far. So have you got anything to uh, contribute or nothing? Let's do this shit. Fair enough. Have you got anything you want to fucking contribute to this? Or are you just going to fucking <laughs> sit there? I'm just going to fucking sit here. Great. Great. Do your heavy, creepy breathing and weird everybody out. Uh, 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 it's about uh, breathing. You fucking love it. Uh, uh, um... <laughs> I well, I've only literally just cracked open a beer, so I don't know what what's going on. Um, but yeah, anyway. EastEnders. Sorry. Have you been watching EastEnders before the show? I have. Uh, ah, not did you time. hear Nick Cotton's coming back to EastEnders? I what? did he hear something about it. Yeah, he fucking died, and then apparently yeah. some characters said he's not dead. Yeah. What? It's like, what the hell is that bollocks? I mean, they already did that with Dirty Den. Anyway, 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 this isn't EastEnders and a monkey. Um, uh, <laughs> so we, we'll get on. We're not going to talk about trailers because uh, there was bugger all. Uh, Noel doesn't like watching trailers anyway. And um, we just thought we'd spend some more time just talking about stuff. I think we're also going to do a bit of one old one new, but I kind of think we're maybe going to see how that goes. We'll just see how we're doing for time. So um, we'll just... Uh, We'll just get into it. Here's a clip from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Enjoy. And uh, when we come back, we will talk about that film. We have to stop Ronin. How? I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions after the nonsense you pulled on nowhere. I just saved Quill. We've already established that you destroying the ship that I'm on is not saving me. When did we establish? Like three seconds ago. No, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. Oh. She's right. You don't get an opinion. What percentage? I don't know. Twelve percent. Twelve percent? It's a fake laugh. It's real. Totally fake. That is the most real authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. It's barely a concept. You're taking their side? I am Groot. So what is better than 11%? What the hell does that have to do with anything? Thank you, Groot. Thank you. See? Groot's the only one of you who has a clue. 
So, Guardians of the Galaxy is directed by James Gunn and stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, um, Dave Bautista, uh, Lee Pace, and the uh, voice vocal stylings of uh, Vin Diesel, uh, Bradley Cooper, and uh, Josh Brolin. Um, and you've also got Karen Gillan as a blue-skinned, bold person. Um, plot. There is a MacGuffin, and Chris Pratt has been uh, sent to go and get it. Uh, he finds out the MacGuffin is mysterious and seems to uh, draw lots of people trying to get it. So he decides to take it himself. And through a confluence of circumstances, a bunch of other people trying to get the MacGuffin, he finds himself teaming up with some of those people to protect the MacGuffin. Um, no, let's start with you. What did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, it's fair to say I was looking forward to it um, and have been for a long time. I'd only seen one trailer for it, which was the initial trailer, the, the very first trailer. I managed to steer clear of any other clips and trailers and bits and reviews and stuff like that since then. So that was good. So going into it, I was I was really excited for it and I was trying to ignore the sort of the buzz because, you know, I only got to see it today because we've been away for the weekend. So obviously Twitter's kind of been talking about it and reviews have been being posted here, there and everywhere for the last week or so now. Um, so yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Um, and I'm happy to say I enjoyed it. Um, I have some reservations about it. I don't think it's amazing. It's not at the, um, I don't think it's anywhere near the level that some people have kind of suggested that it is. Um, but I enjoyed it. I definitely, I definitely had a good, a good old two hours with it. Very nice. Mark. Um, I, well, I'm not as big a, a Marvel universe or this encumbrant of the Marvel universe a fan as, as, as a lot of people. Uh, but I was very much sort of taken by the idea of Guardians of the Galaxy and the fact that we've got James Gunn directing, you know, a, a £170 million film when he's only made two other films. Uh, and both of them were quite kind of very modest budgets. Um, I was also looking at the fact that it, it seemed like it was going to be a little bit more of a jovial kind of film uh, that. Um, again, no, I only watched it today um, and I tried to avoid a little bit of the the hype that was building up, but it was it was quite difficult to notice the fact that that everybody seems to really like this film. Um, and uh, I I absolutely loved it. I thought it, it, it it's great. It absolutely lived up to all all the hype for me. I found it a very endearing film to watch. Uh, Chris Pratt has gone from being um, very quickly gone from being you know Anna Faris's husband who plays that fat guy in Parks and Rec to being a genuine kind of movie star now, uh, and, you know, very good because he's incredibly charismatic. Um, most of all, I, I, I laughed my ass off pretty much all the way through it, um, to the point of where I went with Becky and Isabel, and a couple of times Becky had to actually kind of shove me and say, you're laughing too loud. Uh, so I had to kind of bite my finger uh, to stop myself from laughing so loud. I absolutely love this film. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So the one who's not the massive Marvel Cinematic Universe fan is probably going to be the biggest fan of the film out of the three of us. That's interesting. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I really, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd agree with Noel. I don't think it's quite, 
I think when people come out saying this generation Star Wars, it's a little bit... That's bullshit. Yeah, it's a little bit fucking clickbaity, that is, or, you know, Jesus Christ. Um, but, uh, I, again, it just shows that Marvel know what they're doing. Um, they're able to make plots and stories which all feel very familiar, but still really enjoyable thanks, thanks to the characters, you know, and, and thanks to the stylings that the, um, that the directors give. I mean, the idea that Marvel, like, homogenize their filmmakers work, I, it, it, you know, which was something, which was a complaint that people were coming up with when, um, Edgar Wright left Ant-Man. Um, you, you know, people saying, oh, big bad Marvel. I, I don't see how you could watch a film like Guardians of the Galaxy. Or to be fair, I mean, like, I know Noel wasn't a massive fan of it, but Iron Man 3, which is none more, more Shane Black. And that, that, to some people, that's to its detriment. Um, I, I, and yet, you know, say these films are homogenized. I will say that I think the, the Marvel films that feel like that are made by the least distinctive directors. I mean, like, mm. For the Dark World is mm. the most bland to be honest, I think the most bland of any Marvel Studios film. And what do you know? It's made by a guy whose m- most previous experience was working in TV on Game of Thrones, essentially. You know, so it's... Anyway, I, I mean, we'll get into that kind of stuff. Maybe I just overloaded a bit there. But I, I, I had a really, a really, really, really good time with it. I think it will probably reward rewatches. But yeah. I, you know, I'm not quite on... I, I'm, I'm not on the coming in my pants about it that you know some people are like mark is the dick yes i am i i just had jizz all down my left leg uh from about 10 15 minutes in and it was mostly because of uh chris pat's uh incredible chest yeah i mean well, i think the things that, that, that guy sorry i think i was just going to say the things that mark pointed out about it those are it's it's absolute strengths the fact that it's mm. it is very funny and it is very charming, and that is what works in its favour, and that's what James Gunn has brought to it. Um, I I think it starts really strong. It, it starts with that sort of dramatic sort of pre-credits uh, scene, which is really unusual for for something like this. You know, a real sort of moment of 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 sadness before the 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 hugely funny film that has been being advertised has actually started you've got somebody dying of cancer um oh, bizarrely bizarrely sorry is played by the blonde love interest in the first in betweeners movie oh really is it what <laughs> the fuck wow okay, well, that's weird wow sorry sorry no continue but yeah I, th- I think it it sets out it you know, it sets itself up really well. I think the strength, uh, I think Chris Pratt is excellent in it and in setting him up as the, as the initial, you know, as the, the hook for the whole thing, the anchor for the whole thing is, is brilliant. And then the way they somehow managed to, you know, very quickly pull together Gamora, Groot, Rocket and, um, and Drax just with, with just slivers of information. It all feels quite natural and it all feels quite real and the chemistry is there and then the jokes start and the, the, the to and froing starts and that's, that's all the stuff that makes it charming and funny and interesting. I think where it falls down for me is it goes down a very, a very traditional sci-fi route. Um, 
and it's the type of thing that normally people would be very critical of. So, you know, you're mentioning in the MacGuffin, the whole point again is we're now chasing some sort of amulet around from place to place. I could forgive that because, you know, it's a space caper and then they need something like that. Oh, this is, we're chasing this and now it's been taken away from us and now it's over there and now we've got, that makes sense. But it's, it's the way it sort of also goes into very standard sci-fi territories of just sort of lots of explosions lots of ships flying around um and then you know a, a climax that has sort of one battle going on over there one battle going on up there and some people over there trying to get to something i think that's that's the type of thing that normally people would kind of jump all over but i think because this is a funny film and it's charming I think it's been given a bit of a pass for that for yeah. those reasons. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, Andrew Jones at Ethan Runt on, um, Twitter, um, who is a contrarian at the best of times. Did he, did he not like it by any chance? Yeah, no, no, yeah, he didn't, but he wrote a pretty good piece yeah, about how Marvel films, in terms of like their kind of structure, are very, very, very similar. In terms of that, there's a thing that they need to chase. And at least in this film, he actually, like Chris Pratt's character actually says, oh, it's got a Raiders of the Lost Ark Maltese Falcon kind of vibe. So, I mean, at least mm. they are, you know, they're not actually trying to improve on that, but at least they're actually admitting within the film what it is, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, which is cool. But I think there is a point there to be made that these films are, like the structure of them are very, very similar. I mean, the one thing I suppose you don't really get is them all going their separate ways or something like in the, the end of the yeah. second act of the event. The group falls apart and then comes back together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they go through a rough patch, but it doesn't quite go to that level. And I mean, mm. the, the, one of the things that I liked about, I wasn't a massive fan of the third act generally, because it is like you say, those people go over there, those people go it's, over it's there. Star Wars, it's Star Wars episode one. Y- yes. Yeah. Is that sort of ground battle over there, sky battle over there, third group of people who are trying to get to something. It's, but, we've it seen it many, many times kind of before. Formulaic, yeah. But yeah. at least the ending where they all kind of come together and it's that kind of like that, that bond they're making. I mean, yeah. it's a bit, it's as subtle as a sledgehammer, but at least there's part of the action which is actually kind of helping out the character as well. Um, you know, I mean, I think the best action sequences are those that actually forward your, your relationship with the characters. And I think the climax, at least, does do that, even though I will say, as a criticism of around that part of the film, I could have done with one or two less. Hey, hey, is dad, hey, hey. Oh, he's not human. Oh, do you think that's going to be in the sequel? Eh, eh. You know, I mean, like, you've got, um, you, you've got the fact that he was able to withstand that thing anyway, which all, already said he obviously wasn't human. But then you had Michael Rooker saying, oh, his dad's a jackass. And then you had Glenn Close kind of saying for the cheap seats, his dad's not human. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> you had at the start as well, the mum says, oh, uh, your, your dad was an angel. He was made of pure light. And as soon as she said that in the start of the film, I was like, all right, then, well, his dad's not human then. I wonder how that's going to tie in. You know, and it, it's, I, I, it, there's a little bit too much patting you on the head and giving you a biscuit a little bit. And I mean, that's generally with the screenplay of the film a lot for me. Like the first half an hour is exposition, 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 exposition. 
yeah, it definitely is. But I think as well with these films, sometimes it, it, it's these essentially are made as family films, so they can't. They have to, to an extent, kind of you know spell things out to an extent because you know it, it's one thing. You know, me, you, or other people, uh, you know, who are in their, you know, late twenties, mid thirties, picking up um, subtleties. But you've also got ten-year-old kids like my daughter going to see it that maybe aren't going to pick up as easily those subtleties and everything like that. So you've got to have certain levels of exposition. I, I will agree. And I think this film, where this film kind of does lag a little bit, is the the big action scenes do have a little bit of, like you're saying, there's that going on there, that going on there, that going on there, and it does get a little bit like, right, hang on a minute, it just, there's, there's almost, there's too much going on that it all feels not, not big enough, and it not, um, not connected to what we've seen before, where everything's been quite close and quite sort of, you know, yeah. It's quite it's small easy, detail, and then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, you've got all of this going on, and you've got this great big shield, and then you've got you know rocket controlling all of these guys, and it just felt a little bit like they 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 went right right small small like, big. I think the problem is as well is that's kind of something that you know you're building towards a climax, and you have to build towards a climax in this type of thing. But essentially, the climax is we're going to see the Dark Aster fall into the ground and crash into a city and that feels like it's happened a lot particularly in, in marvel movies as well we've seen it with helicarriers we've seen it with the uh with the sort of giant beastie things in in um avengers. in avengers you kind of always waiting for a big thing to for, I, I can kind of see the shot over and over again where there's sort of the cameras moving around and you can see a giant piece of machinery whether it's a spaceship or a helicarrier or whatever uh, just slowly marvel. crashing into a building and it's if that's always going to be your climax, then, you know, at some point somebody needs to go, all right, is there anything else you've got that we can do for a climax? I mean, it's, it's not, that's not yeah. just Marvel as well. I mean, you had that with Star Trek Into Darkness last year when it was the Enterprise oh, yeah. kind of crashing down. You know, I mean, it's, it's not get yeah. that particular thing's not, not getting at Marvel, but it, it's. Oh, just... no, 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 no. I, I'm just saying we've seen it too much in general. However, we've also kind of seen it quite a lot within Marvel, so. I don't know. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the next Marvel film that kind of shakes up that kind of thing, actually the next Marvel film, is Avengers Age of Ultron. And, you know, I think Joss Whedon is probably going to shake things up a bit. I think he's probably very, very fucking aware of that. And I'm intrigued to see what, you know, what he does with that. But, uh, I mean, it's the... It's almost the window dressing of Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is is kind of amping people up. It's the feed against the into the 80s nostalgia thing and it doesn't i don't feel like i'm being mm. pandered to because it's so ingrained in the plot that like the the kind of the 80s music and the um the kind of all the 80s paraphernalia he's he's got around him i mean it it kind of does feel like it's almost geared to 20 like more like people getting into their 30s who are like oh i remember yeah. all this stuff it, well, the easy thing clever, to do would have been to. Sorry, go on, Mark. Hello. Oh no, so I just think it was a very Hello. clever way of, of introducing that kind of soundtrack uh, into into the film with the fact that you get it as the mixtape rather than it just being shoehorned in altogether. It, it, it's a very good 
kind of idea um, of the way of, of introducing all of this mixed sort of style of music that all sounds quite the same, uh, and it, it feels like it like it was quite an organic kind of idea. And I, I must say as well, I bought that album off um, Google Play last last Monday, and it is just a really really good mix of tunes. It's I mean like as, that's the thing, as an though, album think... that actually works quite well. Mm. The, 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 I was going. I was going to say the easy thing to do is if they wanted to sort of knock in that sort of nostalgia vibe thing, it would have been to sort of chuck in. All right, what have we got? We'll chuck in like ninety nine red balloons and you know maybe some simple minds or like I don't know. Everybody wants to rule like very sort of mainstream poppy sort of eighty stuff that we've heard a million times before because that means the eighties. What we've actually got here is sort of yeah. you know seventies hangover stuff really it's not it doesn't feel i mean i don't i've not checked We've got, yeah these aren't all 80s songs these are a lot of these are sort of like no, are. motown songs that have kind of you know and, and he, he mentions it in there he was saying you know it's it's the songs that my mom listened to as she was growing up and they're just they're kind they're of they're a little bit different than what you might get in another film that wants to ram some 80s nostalgia down your neck Exactly, it's clever because they're all quite recognisable songs, or the, the main ones are recognisable songs, but then you've got like, you know, album tracks off Ziggy Stardust and stuff like that thrown in there as well, yeah. that, you know, that people who are into like that are going to recognise, but they do genuinely feel like they would all appear on somebody's mixtape. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of, it yeah. adds to this, this almost playfulness that Guardians of the Galaxy has got over the kind of the more, you know, a steer kind of nature of, of, of a couple of the other films, especially seeing as the, the other Marvel, I've still not seen it yet, I, I will admit that, uh, but from what I understand, Captain America the Winter Soldier was a lot more kind of stern and it, it was a lot more kind of serious and it kind of had that 70s espionage kind of thing going on, whereas here you've got very much a, a, a purely right, let's entertain people and almost that kind of it's, it's a very clever film that James Gunn has kind of put out. It does feel like a James Gunn film, whilst also the characters feel like he's gone right and we're we'll start a new franchise within the franchise. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's um, I, don't, I mean, it, it, it helps with the world building as well. But I mean, who was the who was the cinematographer on this? Because the the, the, the colours and the lighting and whatnot, I thought was fantastic. I just want to find out. I thought it ben had... Davis, who he, he did, um, he's doing Age of Ultron, actually, funnily enough. Uh, other bits he did was he did Stardust, um, just some great hits. Franklin, uh, which is a terrible film that looked beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Kick-Ass. Um, he did the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Um, Seven Psychopaths. So nothing really of any great kind of note as such, but some some quite good looking films. Yeah, I mean it's it. I mean, and there's it's got that kind of like that. The, I mean, the the kind of the intergalactic setting kind of means it can throw in all sorts of unusual colours. But it, I don't know, it kind of looks kind of like pulpy comic booky, and there were there were shots in this that I imagined yeah. were like frames taken straight from a book. There was. That that one where um, he's in space and he's kind of holding um, uh, 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 Gamora. Uh, how do you pronounce her name? Because it's not Gamora, Gamora, Gamora. is it? Gamora. 
It's Gamora. Gamora. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's he's kind of holding her, and he's kind of framed with the uh, with um, Yondu's spa- uh, ships, kind of like in in the background. Do you know the shot I mean? It's like he's oh, in, I see. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, he's like he's in space, and he's like, he's got her, and he's just like put the mask on her and whatnot, and um, and like with him like freezing mm. up, and I thought that kind of freezing up imagery was really interesting as well. I mean, it, it was just that there mm. were visuals in here which I I don't know, I just really stuck uh, stuck out at me and that's not something that's happened with many marvel films actually so far no yeah it did look it did look great and i think even hello sorry mark i think i think i might be a bit behind you back or Mark is, I don't know. Mark, uh, yeah, Mark, we can hear you. you can Sorry, you go ahead, me? Mark. Yeah. I think I'm just a little bit behind or something. Oh. Yeah, we can hear you, man. Talk, Mark, talk. Am I talking? Am I, am I talking now? All right, yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. You were chatting, and then Noel was chatting, and then Noel stopped. I wasn't going to say anything, though. Oh, fucking hell. All right, Noel, go. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I was just going to say that, yeah, it it does look great, and, you know, I I kind of feel... Maybe I sound a little bit like I've been a touch down on it. I I don't... I think it's, it's a great, lovely... Um, lovely looking space caper and it's a lot of fun and I like, um, the, 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 the tone of it and everything like that. Um, w- the thing that I was most worried about was actually the tone of it because, um, Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy isn't one of the, com- isn't a comic that I've read a lot of. I haven't read the original, si- I haven't read the original run of it. Uh, the only version of it that I've read was one from, I can't, it might have been sort of like early 2000s or, or late 90s or something. Uh, and I wasn't a big fan of it because the, the comedy in it feels very f- like forced Joss Whedon style stuff. Um, so the one thing that I was worried about in Guardians of the Galaxy was a film that would feel very sort of sub Joss Whedon. Um, but actually it's kind of the comedy and the charm of it and the tone of it that works maybe the best um as i've said what i feel lets it down is is the direction that the story goes i don't necessarily think that it has the same um level of interesting plot stuff going on as something like captain america 2 which has you know it has something much deeper and more interesting going on there um but as a sort of space caper and uh, a sci-fi space caper and, and, a, and a franchise starter um, and also something that sort of fits into the Marvel universe, but isn't sort of directly showing you Easter eggs for everything else. Um, I thought it was, was definitely a success. Um, I think Marvel needs to do something a little bit different now and start thinking a little bit more about stories. I think they've started to do that with Captain America 2. I hope they continue to do that with Avengers 2. I think they've got the opportunity to do so with a character like, uh, uh, like Ultron because of the whole sort of, you know, with the whole sort of sentient AI thing, they can basically do whatever they want. And it's be- going to become more about um, a multitude of 
machines and uh, and Ultrons trying to overcome the Avengers. So it's going to be become like more of a mass thing than just a sort of uh, you know a, a well, I guess a, a, the end of the Avengers is kind of a mass thing. But you know, I think there's just more yeah. opportunity to do something interesting, and I hope they do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and and but overall, I think for what this was, it, it's it's a hundred percent fun and it's it's a hundred percent enjoyable. So. Uh, it's definitely a success. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, I, I love the, the character development and the uh, the character building. Am I still behind on this? No, I, I was, I was waiting to see if you were going to say something, and then I started saying something, and literally the split second I did, you started talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, um, I, I love the character development. I, I, I had great from the characters. I'm very much looking forward to the second one. Uh, I, I freely admit, um, it's definitely got uh, story issues. It does feel a little bit uh, like it's it's kind of repeating on previous motifs we've seen set out, not only by the Marvel films, but uh, by other kind of recent um, big kind of blockbusters that we've had recently. I think that the comparisons um, to negatively pick at it or to uh, overtly praise it um, towards Star Wars uh, are a little bit um, I, I, I just I didn't get that from it I think that it, it, it what's wonderful about it is for for me was the fact that I watched a 170 million dollar um, James Gunn film and it felt like a 170 million dollar James Gunn film in the sense that the best bits of it were the bits where you had four or five characters in a room just chatting shit at each other um, and that was where the mm. film the worked really well. Um, I thought it was interesting the fact that Bradley Cooper voiced um, uh, Rocket um, Raccoon in it, but his character was more than just a, a raccoon. It seemed to have a bit of a depth to it. And also as well, he wasn't just doing Bradley Cooper's voice. There was a little bit more to it, so it didn't just feel like, oh, it's Bradley Cooper's voice. Um, I did think from the constant I am group things that I've been seeing everywhere that the group thing would start to wear a little bit thin, and it didn't. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. However, the first person that I see wearing a T-shirt saying I am group. I will punch them in the face. I think you'll be seeing uh, one at Pride Fest. Big old... I will be seeing many at Pride Fest. Yeah. Oh, you go on. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed Guys of Galaxy, and for me, it is a big old definitely not shit. Um, oh, okay. I, I wasn't quite ready to wrap up, actually. Um, uh, just, just because... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's fine. Can I just I mention one? Yeah, go on. One thing we haven't mentioned, which I think is, again, I'm sorry if I'm sounding negative, but I think one sort of weakness is um, the baddies. I was going to uh, say. I think at this point, yeah, I think with, I think teasing Thanos out uh, is starting to get a little bit, um, it's starting to get a bit long-winded, and I don't really know what they're teasing him out for at this point. I don't know if he's going to be the the crux of the Avengers 3 or what. But at this point, it's kind of like, you know, what really is he going to do he, apart from send more baddies to kill people? It's just, you know, inst- instead of actually going, all right, it's almost like they're scared to sort of to go go ahead with it and push him out there because then they won't have anything to follow it up because, you know, they don't push him out from the centre area. He's kind of the puppet master. Yeah, and, and what, what they give you instead is just a, another guy in a hood, like, like the guy in a hood from Thor 2, or like the guy in the hood who's pulling the strings in the Avengers. It's 
Do you know what I mean? It's it's just another guy in a hood, really. Yeah, I mean, the, the inside baseball on 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 that is that it's basically going to be Avengers Age of Ultron is essentially going to be kind of its own thing, but obviously linking to Infinity Captain America Gauntlet, Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then it's like Ant-Man is going to kind of be its own thing. And then Doctor Strange is being thought they're going to start kind of like tying in those, the kind of the Infinity Stones elements into earthbound stuff and then that can kind of follow through with like guardians of the galaxy 2 and then uh, apparently like the thinking is avengers 3 is going to be thanos with the avengers and the guardians of the galaxy yeah it's a long old wait to be teasing him out for even longer though i mean that's that's the thing i mean by the time we get to avengers 3 where thanos is supposed to be like the big bad finally it would have been six years after the avengers when he was first actually teased and that is that is a really really long i mean because i was really surprised when they announced avengers 2 and it had nothing to do with him because that reveal in the end of the Mm. avengers you just kind of thought all right then phase two is going to be that guy and then it wasn't yeah well i mean the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity Gauntlet is a big story, and there's you know there's there's ways that they will need to tie that into to the whole Marvel universe that that will not feel um, crazy. But they've kind of already that you know they've expanded the the Earth thing into other worlds already, and obviously Guardians of the Galaxy is working. I just don't know why they don't. I don't know what they're scared of. I don't know if the, I don't know why they're worried that Thanos is the only thing that they've got in their back pocket to build towards um you know if if that's what they're thinking maybe not but it just i i just i just feel a little bit like there wasn't that much difference between um oh, what's his name the um ronan keating ronan the accuser there wasn't too much of a difference between him and the guy from thor 2 it was just just another guy another you know a cree in a hood and that's it I will say, I thought he was a power, more in, a power hungry guy in a hood. I thought he was more imposing than Malekith. And I liked the scene yeah. where he's like, oh. Oh, he was better. Thanos, you want me to grab this stuff? Nah, oh, fuck off. I've got this stuff now. You can piss right off. You know, I, I, I kind of, I actually thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, like, he, that's about all him, that and his look and his voice was all there was. But there was still more than Christopher Eccles did in four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's, the 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 bodies in it, a few of the Marvel films have been a little bit kind of weak, and some of the weak spots they just some of them just come across uh, as as intergalactic jerks uh, who are after nothing more than just being jerks, really. Uh, except this one was a bit of a you know you've got the whole genocidal maniac aspect of this guy, so he had a little bit more to him than than uh, Christopher Eccleston in in Thor 2. Yeah, I mean, he he did that. I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, In terms of where it sits in the Marvel Studios kind of pantheon for me, I mean, to be honest, I think I preferred Winter Soldier. um, We we have actually got a question. Oh. Actually, that asks us, if you want to do that now, now, we've got a question which basically asks us to, and it is, from uh me just find it. It's here somewhere. I've seen it. Where is it? It's from um let's see. TGP seventy three? Oh nice. 
TGP73, yes. Uh, still can't find it on my feed. But, um, have you got it in front of you there? No. The I have, yeah. yeah. Um, the Ginger Prince TGP73 oh. says rank the ten Marvel films. All right. Hang about. I haven't seen that. Um, if you guys have already thought of it, go, because I think I can knock this out. Well, I've got go mine. On, yeah, I'll so, um, I actually... On the way to the, I actually tapped out my top nine on the way to the cinema just because I thought it'd be interesting to see where it, where Guardians of the Galaxy would squeeze in. Um, so I'll just, yeah, my top ten starting at number ten, uh, Iron Man three, uh, number nine, the first Captain America, uh, number eight, Thor two, number seven, Iron Man two, number six, The Incredible Hulk, number five, Thor, number four, Guardians. Two, Winter Soldier, and number two, Iron Man, and uh, number one, The Avengers. Mark, could you just do from number four again? You, you cut out on my end and I'm recording this, so sorry. So that was me. No, no sorry, sorry. I, did I say Mark? No, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. Should I start again? Yeah, 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 do it. Sorry, my bad. All right, I'll just start. I'll just start. I'll just start again. All right, so number 10, uh, Iron Man 3. Number nine, Captain America, First Avenger. Number eight, Thor 2. Number seven, Iron Man 2. Number six, The Incredible Hulk. Number five, Thor. Number four, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, number three, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And number two, Iron Man. And number one, The Avengers. Right, I'll go through mine. I've not actually seen uh, the second Captain America film yet, so that's not in it, so this is actually just nine. Uh, number nine, uh, Thor 2. Uh, eight, uh, Captain America, the first one. Uh, seven, Thor. Six, Iron Man 3. Five, The Incredible Hulk. Four, Avengers. Three, Iron Man. Two, Iron Man 2. And uh, top is Guardians still working here. Ian, have you managed to crack out your list? I'm just finalising <laughs> the order. Okay. Fuck. I've only got nine here. Ugh. Four? Okay. You're missing the Incredible Hulk. No, I'm not actually. That's weird. Oh, no. no. That's <laughs> Most people do. No, yeah, yeah. No, okay. Yeah, well, I, 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 did, I did as well. I got <laughs> it. I, I first got made it. it. I got it. Number ten, Iron Man 2. Number nine, Thor 2. Number eight, The Incredible Hulk. That's right, The Incredible Hulk is better than Thor The Dark World, damn it. Uh, number seven, Captain America 1. Number six, Iron Man 1. Number five, Thor. But mainly because of I Need a Horse. It's better than Iron Man <laughs> because of I Need a Horse. So, yeah. Um, number, f- oh, and also, um, but you're not king! Um, but yeah, um. But you're not king! <laughs> yeah, just those two moments. Uh, number four, Iron Man 3. Uh, number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number two, Captain America 2. Number one, Avengers. But you're not king! I'm glad to see that the Incredible Hulk gets some love, because. Yeah, I, I always feel like the Incredible Hulk's the one that everybody hates, and I kind of like, but I'm, I'm glad to see other people like it, too. I, I, the thing is, like, 4-2 and Iron Man 2 are, like, a fair bit down, 
and then you've got the others, and the the quality gap between the others is not nearly as wide for me. Mm. Yeah, Iron Man 2 was my second favourite, so... <laughs> yeah, but that's because Sam Rockwell dances in it. They, do you know what? Sam Rockwell dancing is a big part of it. Yeah. I know I'm it not, is. I'm not going to lie, it is. I, I I I stand by I stand by my Iron Man too. You're an idiot. Um, definitely not shit. And I <laughs> would I, I stand by that as well. I I would probably 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 do Karen Gillan's character if I had to. I oh I would I, I really have a problem with Karen Gillan. <clears throat> All right. She seems a bit arrogant, but it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the first arrogant girl I've screwed. So there you go. I, 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 I would I would totally totally do that. Yeah, absolutely. But I just I she she is an incredibly smug human slash alien whatever she's being at the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still would. I hate the fucking shit out of her. And no shit or definitely not shit or touching cloth. No, it's definitely it's definitely not shit. I, I definitely definitely not shit. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, maybe uh, while we're being sexist, I, I, I maybe I would have liked Gamora to be able a little bit more naked um, as she can be in the comics. But hey, he can't have everything because we're not getting a She-Hulk movie, are we? So, um, but yeah, never mind. Definitely not shit. If there was a black light around your house, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh. One more thing, just one more point as well, because I did write this down to actually mention this. The one thing I wasn't expecting, the last thing that I was expecting from this film, and we haven't even really mentioned him, the last thing I was expecting from this film for my favourite character to be Drax the Destroyer, Dave Batista, whatever his name is. I was really not expecting to be for him to be my my favourite character. He was really, really brilliant. The the deadpan delivery of stuff and the fact that he didn't get sort of metaphors, I thought that was hilarious. The moment where he said, they said something about, um, oh, you know, you don't let things go over your head. Yeah. And he said something like, nothing ever goes over my head. My, my reactions are too quick. I'd catch it. I like the way that yeah. the I'd, I'd catch it bit is almost as if he's kind of realised that he's being an idiot and he just kind of goes, I'd, I'd catch it. <laughs> it, it's it, it, that, uh, that that was one of the moments. That was one of the moments where Becky actually had to kind of just literally kind of like pat me and say you're laughing too loud to the point of where there were some people sat behind us and further up the row who actually started laughing at how much I was laughing wow. at the film. Yeah, that's that's how much I and was just laughing. One more thing that we haven't mentioned. My as point. Well. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Mark. Go on, Mark. Yeah, what's the other thing? Oh, sorry. The other thing I was going to say that we haven't mentioned, because obviously I know this is all spoilers all the time. How did everybody feel about the kicker? What, the post-credits? Yeah. That was all right. It was fun. Oh, the the How the Duck. I I, I laughed again. (laughs) I thought it was was a very... I was a bit disappointed, (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, it, it, had, it, it, it was one of those where it, it, it was a long time it was to a wait for, 
for a gag. Yeah. That's exactly a, a very quick man. visual. Yeah. Are really yeah. long, and then you just get like twenty seconds yeah. at the end. Yeah. Well, especially since yeah, I think the thing, the problem, the problem is really 90% of people won't get it. Yeah, and I think the problem for me was that, you know, in the context of the film, it makes sense that this, that the, the Howard the Duck thing would be a gag for the kicker. That makes sense. I get that. It, it works and well done. But I can't help but be disappointed that you know, from a fanboy point of view, I can't help but be disappointed that it didn't involve somebody we already know or somebody we haven't seen yet or just something that would seriously point to how the films are going to connect later. So I know it's wrong and I know I'm being a fanboy about it, but I was disappointed with that. So there you go. Um, I, I just want to say my favourite bit of the film, my actual favourite, favourite bit of the film was in the prison sequence where everything's going nuts and it just cuts to a shot of Chris Pratt with the guy with the prosthetic leg. And I think the, the guy with the prosthetic leg just says something like, <laughs> what do you mean you want my leg? And the fucking no, grin <laughs> that is on Chris Pratt's face at that time, it, it like it, I was howling. It's like, it just, like, I, yeah. I don't know, it's almost <laughs> like it was like a, a, like a take they fucked up or something, and it's just like they just decided to keep it in there, it was great. Yeah, also the, the sheer concept of when he actually gives him the leg, and he's like, what, I was joking, I didn't really want the leg, I just thought it'd be funny. That was it, and I just cracked up completely. And then when he, later on when he says, uh, I need that guy's eye, he's like, he doesn't eye. need the eye, he's like, no, I really do. Uh, it was it, it, that. It's just moments like that were just glorious for me. Yeah. Nice. Um, cool. Okay, so we're all definitely not shit on Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we're gonna take a break for some yeah. promos, and then we will be back. And uh, I think we can talk about some one old one new. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. That's just, just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody... <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. For sake, the man shit, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. <laughs> Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. 
he's decided it's time to go back. For just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Mellor, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Okay, so we're back. Um, apologies for the slightly kind of ramshackle like talking over each other kind of nature of the um of the of the review um we've kind of reset up and hopefully we should be okay now um so thanks for bearing with us but fuck it this is free so actually fuck you give us some money um no no um <laughs> so uh let's let's get into some one old one new we'll start off with the guest um uh, no, is there anything you particularly want to talk about? Maybe if we just all kind of do both our, all our stuff in one fell swoop this week. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go through a couple of things I've watched recently. I'll, I'll start by gently tapping the tip of my one old on your earlobes. Oh. And that is Prince Avalanche from 2013. It's not particularly old, um, but the oldest of the, the things that I've watched in the last uh, week or so. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, so Prince Avalanche, David Gordon Green film from 2013. Uh, have you two both seen this? Yeah. 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 Um, David Gordon Green's a bit of a funny one. I, you know, we talked about that. We talked about him a little bit when we reviewed, uh, Joe on 35mm Heroes. And I was kind of saying you kind of don't, you know, he does different, he does very different types of films. Sometimes he'll do this, the sort of very indie, um, Sundance family type stuff and then other times it's sort of bawdy comedies and this very much falls into the the um the Sundance favorite category uh, and it's kind of pretty obvious from the start that that's what film it's going to be um it's the same sort of color palette that you see with virtually every indie, dra- indie drama there is nowadays uh, including uh, Joe funnily enough um and like I say, it's got a certain sensibility about it that it's it's kind of slowly paced and you kind of know where the characters are going to go. Um, but it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, it's fairly predictable, as I say. Um, it's fairly low energy. It's basically the story of sort of two men as they're out on the roads, painting roads. Uh, you learn that they're sort of connected through um, one of them is married to the other one's sister um, and it's about sort of, you know, the breakup of relationships and the, the fact that the other one's quite naive and doesn't have experience of the world and, uh, and the one who's in the relationship doesn't really fully, um, understand his own relationship, um, and sign, and kind of starts to see that crumble. And it's about how the two of them change along the way. So it's, you know, there's no sort of, um, it, it's not some sort of, um, it's not particularly complex plot. It's not a particularly, um, What's the word? It's not high concept. Um, it just sort of it just sort of rambles on. Um, but it's fine. Um, Paul Rudd and Emil Hirsch. Paul Rudd is fine in it. Um, he play. He, he's kind of underplaying it. Um, but you do so a little see a little bit of his his inner Paul Rudd creep out, if only for a second, every now and again. Emil Hirsch. He's just one of those actors who seems to seems as if he's been around forever. But 
I've never really seen him in anything that makes me feel like he's been particularly memorable. I wouldn't say Prince Avalanche would change that, but I think his chemistry with Paul Rudd here is quite interesting, especially when things start to get a bit strained between them and, and things start to go wrong for them as individuals. Um, and yeah, overall, it's fine. It's 94 minutes, so it, it, it doesn't overstate its welcome. Uh, it kind of washes over you, as these films very often do. Uh, and if you were to ask me what happens at the end of it uh, right now, I wouldn't be able to tell you. And I only saw it a week ago, so you get some sort of you get some sort of idea of of the level um, of involvement you need there. Um, it's fine. It does what this type of film does, and it does it well enough. But I'm not going to go out and start singing the praises of David Gordon Green just yet. He he's a he's a solid director, but he doesn't really do anything that that, that blows my balls. So um, yeah, it's fine. Nice. Uh, any anything else you want to touch on at all now? Oh, I suppose I better touch on my one new then, aren't I? Um, you don't have to. Very you don't want to. One new. If, if you're going to be that, that well, I can't, I, resentful about it, you can just shut up and listen to well, us for a bit. Well, when I say what it is, you'll um, you'll you'll kind of know where I'm going because we had this conversation. But um, oh, my one new was the Amazing Spider-Man Two. <laughs> too much plot, too many characters, too much concern with the the franchise and the future of the franchise. It's fucking horrible. Mark Webb is a terrible director, and somebody needs to ask questions about why he's been handed so much money, so much talent, and such a fantastic um, character and franchise and he's managed to make such a confused boring mess of a film on two occasions now Um, I don't know why people aren't asking these questions I don't know why I mean, maybe they are a little bit because the questions over, you know, whether or not the, the Amazing Spider-Man 3 will happen. Uh, I don't think anybody's really that arsed if one does, let alone Sony, who just seem happy to sort of crank out films within the Spider-Man universe, regardless of whether Spider-Man's in them or not. Um, I agree that the chemistry between the two lead characters is decent. I don't think it's amazing. I think it's decent, but it's not enough to hang an entire film on it's not good enough to hang an entire film on it's certainly not strong enough to hang an entire comic book movie on um the action sequences just feel like video game uh cutscenes to me um they look very video gamey and i think some of the effects in there look about 10 years out of date some of the way the characters run and jump look a little bit uh like the sort of bad running and jumping that you see in stuff like daredevil um and just overall, it's it's a bit pointless and a bit wasteful. And, um, you know, it, I, I really can't I can't stress how much I dislike these films now. I've kind of wanted to I didn't see this at the cinema. Um, I just sort of waited for it to turn up. I watched it and I went into it thinking if I get some sort of enjoyment out of it, I'll be happy. So I certainly wasn't down on it from the outset, but I was reminded very quickly why I disliked the first film so much and yeah fuck Mark Webb uh, he's he's an idiot um, I, there's, there's just there's such terrible decisions in the film that I, I just I, I question what it doesn't seem like they're that bothered about the story it doesn't seem like they're that bothered it, they're just all they're really interested in doing is reskinning Spider-Man as something which 
um, will sell a few video games and will fit today's sort of PlayStation aesthetic. Um, and that's really all this is. There's the character of Peter Parker is supposedly he's, he's, he's this, you know, super smart guy, but he doesn't, he's this super smart guy who's tortured by the loss of his parents, but he doesn't make any, um, attempt whatsoever to investigate the story behind who his parents are. Um, to the point where there's a briefcase that's been in his bedroom for 15 years and he hasn't fucking opened it, which is ridiculous. You know, he's supposed to be Spider-Man. Why is he not investigating this stuff? Um, then there's the whole thing about sort of Harry Osborn, this, you know, his best friend from childhood, despite the fact we've never heard him mentioned before. It's all just lazy and it's just tied together with bits of sellotape and string and it's a fucking mess and I hope they don't make any more of them and I hope Mark Webb never works again. <laughs> um, yeah, it has been pushed back. It was originally going to be out in 2016. It's now been pushed back to 2018, the uh, third Amazing Spider-Man movie, which means it'll be four years in between two mm-hmm. and three which means by the time we get to the the third one, uh, Andrew Garfield will be in his mid-30s. Jesus. Um, you know, that's it's a long way to go, really. Um, it, it does seem like putting that back another two years is almost like saying, right, we will either make it for 2016 or we won't make it. But they seem to be more concerned. Like, it, it makes such sense on paper as well. You know, the one area that, that hasn't, that nobody's claimed ownership of yet really is sort of all right what's going on with a bad guy movie like what bad guy movies can we make so they're saying all right let's make sinister six and we'll make venom or venom venom carnage as they're now apparently going to call it um you know so it makes sense to kind of move the spider universe into that way and start focusing a little bit more on the bad guys and doing some interesting stuff there but really like the characters that we've seen so far I don't want to see Electro again. I don't want to see Harry Osborn again. I certainly don't want to see Rhino again. And that's like with that's that's three of them gone. I'm not interested in any of those characters. They were all, they were all caricatures of other characters. Like they, you know. I mean, weirdly enough, I because I, I actually quite enjoyed uh, Spider Man Two when I watched it at the cinema. Uh, I rewatched it again um, this week. Uh, I watched it with Becky and, and Isabel at home, um, and it it it. It really felt its length and it felt messy. And I was watching going, right, this, this doesn't feel like the movie that I watched sort of four or five months ago. It, it felt different. It did feel a little bit, well, not a little bit, it felt incredibly jumbled and just not quite there. And like I say, I, I actually quite enjoyed it, but on its second watch, it did start to fall apart quite dramatically for me, to be honest. It just seems to lumber from one thing to the next, and it's just, it's so, it's, it's, it's kind of incoherent, and it's kind of, um, everything's convenient, like everything's conveniently done, um, and no real thought is, is given to addressing that convenience other than, oh yeah, no, it's just, that's just the way it is. He knows him because he knows her, and she knows that guy over there. So they all live in this world. They all live in New York, but New York's really, really small, and everybody just goes from this building to that building to this building, and they all know each other. So when anything happens, it's probably somebody that you know. It's, it's fucking lazy, really for a, lazy. For a two-hour-plus movie, it's incredibly rushed. Yeah. 
you know. I understand why they did it because you know they had a lot of shit to cram into this two and a half hours. So I don't know. It's not the last quarter of an hour is the first quarter of an hour of what should have been the third movie. And apparently there was, you know, obviously we know MJ was cut out of this film. Yeah. And apparently it's emerged now that Peter's dad was cut out of this film as well because he was going to turn up at the end and go, oh yeah, you know, I was alive all this time because they hadn't confused audiences enough. They wanted to throw in another character and set something else up. It's it's just silly. I mean, we all know the reason why uh, Mark Webb is directing these movies, don't we? Because he made a decent love story once, which seems like a really long time ago now. Because his surname's Webb. Yeah. I genuinely think that kind of... That is the simplicity of some studio head things of, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, guys. Mark Webb. Well, that, that's, get that's, it, that's, get why, that's why my daughter is called Lottie Loring, so one day she can do the standalone um, a Lois Lane film. That does make sense. It, that's, that's future planning, that. Well done. Yep. I think my child's going to direct the Charlie Sheen biopic. <laughs> All about Charlie. <laughs> that's, that's the title. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I, 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 it's difficult with stuff like this because if you start getting really upset about it, you sound like a fucking idiot. But I just, it, it's such a waste. It's such a terrible, terrible waste. And I can't believe that some people are, would defend it. And and I can't believe that there are people out there who think these are better than the Raimi films. That just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I think Mark kind of like echoed my my feelings. I I really like the 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 second one in the cinema. I don't think it's, that they're as good as the Raimi ones. But I I watched the Amazing Spider Man before Amazing Spider Man two um, came out, and I actually thought that kind of held up as well. So uh, we're, we're obviously at a crossroads in our friendship, Noel, and I think this is probably the end. So you might as well just pop that way. I'd be interested to hear what you think. Like I said, I watched it earlier this week, and I was assuming you had quite enjoyed it, but on a rewatch, it, it really just fell apart for me. Yeah, um, that's a I still think Garfield's a very good um, Spider-Man. Um, the relationship between those two is, is, is very good, but then, of course, you've got the fact that that relationship will not be continuing throughout the, the next movie. So... If all you've got to hang your hat on is is because they, they they are fucked up the villains uh, in these two movies I think uh, to a large extent uh, and it is the chemistry between the two leads uh, have kind of kind of helped it over that line uh, and have appeared for a lot of cracks. If that's not there to do it, then it, it's a big worry. But like they didn't even continue that sort of focus on chemistry with you know they're supposedly setting up the Sinister Six. I didn't see anything going on between Rhino and the other bad guys. The the um, the the um, chemistry between uh, Electro and Harry Osborn was probably even worse than the chemistry between Venom and Sandman in Spider-Man Three. It was just non-existent. So. They're supposedly moving towards the Sinister Six, but so far we've got three characters set up and I don't feel like there's anything that's gone on between those characters whatsoever that makes them feel like they should they should be banding together in any way. 
No, they use a common enemy to kind of draw them together. That yeah, point. but that common that common enemy supposedly won't be in the film, yeah. six movie. So, so what's the fucking point? I just don't know. It, it tires me out thinking about this fucking franchise. Really does. <laughs> the thing is, it's basically if Sinister Six is received poorly, Amazing Spider-Man Three is fucked. Yeah. But yeah. they're, they're, they're basically going to be in a go position or they already would have started filming by the time Sinister Six comes out. So it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, this is basically, it kind of already feels like all this repositioning is the last roll of the dice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the thing about all this is, is these films won't happen if they don't make money. And Amazing Spider-Man 2 made a fuckload of money. But it didn't make oh. as much of a fuckload of money as they thought it was going to. And when when it comes to like shareholders meetings and things like that, like, the shareholders will say, why did this not make as, make as much time, money yeah. as you thought it was going to? Yes, it made a lot, yeah, it, 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 but it, it we invested quite, based it didn't quite on... Make... Yeah, I mean, it didn't quite make as much as the uh, Amazing Spider-Man. It, it made about sort of 50, 60 million less. But, but, still, but they, they, they expected it to make more than Amazing Spider-Man. The feeling was it was going to clear a billion. And it didn't do mm. that. No. It, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it didn't get close to that in, in the great scheme of things. You know, it did just over 700 million, which... Is incredible business, but it, it, it's not, like you say, it's not what they wanted. When you've got films that cost that much to make and cost that much to market, as The Amazing Spider-Man 2 did, and the crazy thing is, when, when they first nixed Raimi's Spider-Man 4, one of the reasons why they did that was because, like, if they brought back uh, Raimi, Maguire, Dunst, they were going to have to pay them a shitload. So the idea was get a get a bunch of new talent. They we don't have to pay that much, and yet the budget still managed to balloon. And it's I I, it, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, the the question would be if they scrap this lot, do they just reboot again, or do Marvel say we will give you a billion dollars yeah. if you let us have Spider Man back? Yeah. I think mm. that's probably more likely. I'd, I don't know. I, th- I think that hopefully <laughs> comic book movies will have moved to a, to a place. By the time Sony have finished fucking about with this character, hopefully comic book movies will move to a place where uh, studios are confident enough to just do good stories and not feel like they have to spoon feed people an origin story every time. So if it does move back over to Marvel, they'll literally just be able to dip into the, dip into the massive stories that they've got. I've said this a million times before, dip into the massive stories that they've got, massive stories that they've got and go, all right, what have we got that we can do? We've got this great story over here. We've got this great story over here. Let's just make this story. Everybody knows who Spider-Man is. Everybody knows what he's capable of and what his powers are and great power comes with great responsibility and blah, 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 blah. Everybody knows all this stuff. Let's just do Craven's Last Hunt and just do, do, do let that one story unfold. Mm. Um, and that's the best hope for this character at the moment, but that will not happen while it's in the hands of uh, Mark Webb and Sony. I mean, it's, we'll it's just in- get more laptop adverts, like. 
It's, it's, it's interesting because you don't hear people talking about this with X-Men, with Fox, which is amazing because when X-Men Origins Wolverine came out, like Fox were just the worst. But now they, 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 mm. they've gotten to a place with Days of Future Past where they're, you know, they're, they're kind of, they've got their fingers in all the pies in terms of all the timelines and whatnot. But it, it does feel like they've got a handle on what they're doing. And... Yeah. Yes, they are trying to make they are trying to make money, but it's not. We're going to do a spin off of this character. We're going to do a spin off of this character. We're going to do a spin off of this one. It's almost like X Men Origins scared them off that path. And that I mean, yeah. in, in the in the end of the day, for the for the Fox X Men universe, what, Origins may have been the best thing that ever happened to them because it, it, it course corrected in, in in such a way that we had First Class and then we had Days of Future Past. Which are two, well, I think, remember, anyway, two genuinely really fucking good films. Well, if you remember, at the time, there was a lot of talk about spin-off movies as well. There was, yeah, you know, Magneto. originally, there was going to be an X-Men Origins, Magneto, um, Magneto and Xavier thing. There was going to be a, uh, what's the guy with the cards, uh, the Taylor Gambit. Kitsch character. He was going to get a spin-off. The Gambit, yeah, he was going to get a spin-off. Now, apparently, that's been uh, done again, but completely, you know, different person. Um, there was uh, the Deadpool thing, which may or may not be dead. Um, you know, there was they were talking about throwing spin-offs out here, there, and I think was, was there. No, there wasn't one for Storm. There was somebody else as well that they were talking about one for. But Cyclops at one point was going to get one. Was it Cyclops? Jeez, yeah, weak. Um, which, which, which I think was where basically they were going right. Who can we do one for? And then when. When the big sort of opening tempo one was so badly received, mm. they kind of went, holy fuck, if we can't sell a Wolverine movie to fuckers, how the fuck are we going to send a, send a yeah. Cyclops movie to people? And that, like, like Ian says, it, it very much kind of shook them into this idea of, right, no, it, it really, it's either all of them or none of them. But then they did use the Wolverine, just Wolverine one. They basically took an existing story, like you said, what they should do with Spider-Man, and went, right, let's just do one almost on its own. Let's do a nod to what's going to happen in the future, but let's set this as this is just Wolverine on a Wolverine adventure. Mm. Yeah. And I think we'll get to a stage eventually where, you know, confidence in individual properties will be high enough for your Batmans, for your, uh, your Supermans, for your, uh, your Spidermans, that we won't need origin stories anymore and it will just be understood that we know who these characters are. I can't wait for that day because the stories will get better. Well, yeah, I, I think part of that is, is, is a growing consciousness because um, within people as well, the fact that in 10 years' time, you know, the majority of kids will have grown up with an easier access to these origin stories. Um so it, they will they will become popular culture uh, consciousness on a mass scale. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I think I think they kind of are. I think they kind of already are at that stage. It's just I think, I think they are now. Yeah. Just certainly. having the balls to actually go. All right, fuck it. We don't need to tell people how he got spider powers again. Like yeah. they know now. It's understood. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It it, it will. It'll help it along, certainly. It'll help it move forward and reach kind of like a new, more interesting creative path. Um, 
I'm going to skip my one old one you. I was going to talk about the Lethal Weapon series, but I'm actually doing a two-part retrospective piece for the Verite blog. Um, surprisingly, um, Jord wouldn't let me have it in the magazine because uh, Lethal Weapon isn't quite the kind of thing that they focus on in the magazine proper. But uh, it, it's... Uh, I don't mean he'd say that himself. But, I mean, it's, yeah, no, 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 no. It, it, Verite is its own special <laughs> thing, and fair play. I would never no, expect yeah, it to be in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to do a two-part retrospective piece for the uh, for the site, which I'm actually quite enjoying writing. Um, but Mark, do you have anything? Um, I have a couple of quick bits uh, to talk about. Yeah, um, quickly one. Uh, my one uh, old was going to be uh, the uh, Howard Dutch movie. Um, the Great Outdoors, uh, which I rewatched the other day, um, whilst uh, whilst in bed, um, and just sort of kind of watched it just to. Uh, actually, I watched it because Becky's got the um, Last of Us for the PS4, and so that's it. I've barely seen her uh, since then, so I've been kind of locked in the bedroom watching movies. And uh, one of them I watched was I said the The Great Outdoors, um, and. It's one of those films where I've not watched it an awful lot. Uh, it's one of my probably least watched um, films of that era. But I do really enjoy it every time I watch it. You know, it's great seeing John Candy in, in John Candy form. Um, Dan Aykroyd's still one of those guys who I can't quite work out why I find him amusing, but I do. Um, but it's a really strange film. But it, it's, a, it, it's a typical kind of story. But the most bizarre kind of thing about that film is the credit sequence at the end which is just this weird kind of party where you've got Aykroyd um, and um, Stephanie Farsi um, just dancing um, and you've got John Candy and Ed Benninger there but they're not really dancing as much but that's like the the, the credit sequence is, is that dancing and it just it, I always find that I, I'm sort of going I don't understand why this is so kind of hypnotic to watch, but it kind of is. Um, Fat man dancing. But it, 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 it's it's so it's always hypnotic. But it, it's the, the, it makes no sense for why that is the closing credit, but it is just there. But it kind of feels right um, as part of the film. But yeah, that was that was one that I watched. But uh, the other thing I watched was um, my one new was I watched uh, Ivan Reitman's uh, Draft Day. Um, which uh, stars Kevin Costner and Jennifer Garner, Dennis Leary, Frank Langella, uh, and you've got Sam Elliott uh, in there as well, uh, and uh, Chadwick Boseman, who is about to play, well, he is going to play, um, James Brown in the upcoming James Brown uh, biopic. Um, but this is, um, draft day is set on the NFL draft day, funnily enough, um, and it chronicles the day of Kevin Costner's character, who's the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, who is offered uh, a trade um, at the start of the film where he's offered the Seattle Seahawks first draft pick, which is they get to pick the first player uh, from the, the college draft, um, offered their first pick, um, but they get his uh, first pick, which is number seven in line, uh, and they get their first draft picks for the next three years, and he accepts that because there's this great um, quarterback um, called Bo Callahan, who's supposed to be he's going to be the ne- one of the next greats, but after Costner's 
character has accepted that. Um, he starts immediately kind of regretting it. Um, he's got the owner of the franchise thinks it's great because they're going to get this, you know, the star of the draft. But then you've got Dennis Leary's character, who he's the head coach, is basically saying, I don't want this guy um, because... I think we've got a good enough quarterback and you've thrown away the future of the team. Uh, and also at the same time, he's got the, um, essentially the lawyer, the accountant lady who deals with all the, what is it? He, all the, like the financial aspects of it. Uh, he's in a relationship with her and she just told him that she's pregnant and he's got all of this shit going on and it's all happening on draft day and he's got to do all this. And, it's a really strange film in the way that it's, it, it's constructed because a lot of the film is people talking to each other on phones. And what Reitman has done is it, there's a lot of split screen. But the split screen isn't like half down. It kind of it, it moves over t- towards sort of one side. So one side will shrink. But if there's an arm or something in the picture, that'll cross over uh, the split. Uh, so you'll have the black line where it splits, but if it, the, the black line will go behind stuff, so stuff's still in the foreground, so you're always seeing all of the, 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 the body of a character, um, and it, it, it's a different kind of nice kind of aesthetical touch of how to do these split screens, because a lot of it happens in that. That was when I, I had a terrible headache last night, so I went to bed and thought, right, I'll put this on for 20 minutes, but I'll see if I watch the rest of it in, in the morning. Uh, and I end up watching it all because it is just a really interesting film. You know, it's it's under two hours long, uh, which is always great for a modern day film. Um, Costner is very Costner in it. It's, you know, it, it's him being the charismatic leading man. Um, and stuff kind of, you've got all these things sort of knocking against each other. And then you realise that he's actually kind of flukily got his shit together in his own mind and things start to start to make sense and it's it's just a really really enjoyable film um that i would it's a great kind of it's a great midweek night watch for a film where you know you just want to just switch off but you don't want to watch something stupid or zany or anything like that you want to watch something that's engrossing enough but you don't have to fucking know the ins and outs of the nfl I'm That'd all over that. This, actually. Yeah, I. Uh... It, 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 honestly, it, it's it's a really. I was I was surprised how enjoyable it is, and it's it's nice seeing Dennis Leary in a film where he's he's actually got a little bit of character bite in there, um, and Jennifer Garner for once isn't just bland, nothingness. It's quite funny at points. Um, Chadwick Boseman, um, who like I say is about to be Jane Brown. Um, there's definitely a budding sort of star there. Um, he's very good in this. Nice. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm all over that. I think uh, that's, that's sweet. That's, yeah, I'd very, like I said, very much recommend. Sweet. Nice. Um, all right, cool. So we'll, uh, cool. we'll, we'll, we'll end the one old one you there. That was good. And, uh, we'll move on to, uh, the first part of our to pack upon. Tupacathon. 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 Um, and we are going to talk about juice. Here is the trailer for juice. We're going to have some juice and then we're going to get going. 
Enter the dragon. It's a thought the rain attack the second of banging the rappers on the bandwagon. Feel the fury of a winner. Gave a men a place. No, you are sexy. Thank you. What did names like Mustafa and Akbar become too hard to spell? Oh, well, I'm serious now. Well, I'm serious too, Raheem, and this does not make you a man. I should let you have her. Don't you remember? I let you have her. Almost empty. We went from the cops. We went from the security guards. Like I'm on the damn track team. If you want respect, you gotta earn it. You gotta be ready to go down. Stand up and die for that stuff if you want to, juice. Check this out. It's gonna be a piece of cake, Q. Yeah, man, it'll be a piece of cake. We go in, right before 11, get the loot, and jet. I got a DJ Saturday night, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to miss that for nobody. Gee, Q! I hold on to the gun. Why should he hold on to the gun? Because I already got it! You didn't have to shoot him, man. Move. I want to ask you boys some questions. Did you leave the club at any time tonight? You're mixed up in it, aren't you? I think this is lost it, man. Who killed him? I'm the one y'all need to be worried about. Hey, you don't, man. If you didn't do nothing, then you got nothing to worry about. No, killed him. Do a minute if I have to. Okay, so that was the trailer for Juice. It's the first part of the two-packathon. Uh, Juice stars, I haven't got IMDb up, but I know it stars Omar Epps, and I know it stars Tupac, Shakur, obviously. And I know it features Queen Samuel Tifa, L. Jackson. And it features Samuel L. Jackson, and it features a couple of other people as well. That'll do. Um, okay. Yes, so, it does. So, uh, story is, you've got a bunch of childhood friends, um, it, it, like, the, the two primary ones being Omar Epps and, uh, Tupac Shakur, and, um, they're, you know, they're kind of living life, and, you know, some of them are happier than the others, uh, one of them gets a gun one day and decides to, uh, rob a, um, uh, kind of a convenience store, and their lives will never be the same again. Uh, let's start with Mark, just because we've been starting with Noel a lot, and I don't want Mark to feel left out because he's very insecure. Uh, what did you think about um, what did you think about Juice, Mark? <laughs> uh, well, I um, I remember Juice coming out uh, to be honest the, the, the film on its initial release. I remember renting it in the old VHS days, uh, and it was one that I I actually owned on VHS and used to watch quite a lot. Uh, because, of course, I, I was into the old hippity hop back in the day, uh, and it had a great soundtrack opening uh, with uh, No Ledge, uh, Eric B, um, is the open type film. It's one of those, we got a lot of these in the early 90s, of these um, quintessentially kind of hip-hop movies before hip-hop. This was a great early days of hip-hop, before hip-hop became gangster rap, before it became the fucking bullshit that we've got nowadays. Um, and 
you know, this is the opening film for Tupac Shakur uh, as well, that kind of arrived him out there. And it, it also happens to be, for the most part, a very good film that kind of, it does lose its way towards the end, but it, it kind of, it seems like they had this great idea, but they didn't quite know how to how to end it. So it, it, it just kind of, it, it ends on a little bit of an anticlimax, but it does kind of capture... Um, a, a, a very kind of um, time capsule uh, of of certainly um, black youth culture in 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 sort of early nineties America, where it was a very disenfranchised time. You know, these are these were kids who you know they should have been in high school, but they were they were essentially going around and feeling that they had to form some kind of uh, crew. Uh, but all they were doing was just being kind of like hustlers and things like that. And then when they tried to step up their game to doing something a little bit kind of more fucking, you know, hardcore and a little bit more thuggish and the next level uh, up is when, you know, you get a few of them go to the, whoa, this, that's, that's too fucking far for me. And one of them kind of just tips over the edge into the, you know what? I fucking like that. Um, it, it's I still still think it stands up very well. There are there are big big flaws in, in, in the film, but on the whole, I think for a film that's 22 years old, um, I, I think it does does still hold up quite well, and it does show that that Tupac Shakur did have um, some kind of you know some very good acting chops uh, even at a very young age for his his first film. No. Yeah, well, I was really keen to watch this, actually, just because I, um, like Mark, was, was a very keen aficionado of the hippity hop around, uh, around the late 80s and early 90s. So, you know, uh, New Jack City, Boys in the Hood, um, Menace to Society, all those types of films I would watch on a regular basis. I can't yes. tell you how many times I've seen New Jack City and Boys in the Hood. <laughs> um, and, and, and I was also aware of, the the uh, the soundtrack to this as well. So I've just I've got no idea why I why this why I didn't watch, watch this. Off. Sorry, yeah, it was the first, first watch. watch. Ah, yeah. right. I, I don't yeah. understand why. I really don't understand why. Unless I watched it and then forgot about it or, or something. I don't know because uh, it seems like it would have been perfect for for me and and you know my group of friends at the time being so in love with that era of movies and that era of hip hop and. You know what I see was doing at the time, and um, what uh, Eric B and, and and other sort of like, like like you say, sort of before hip hop became um, more sort of R and B flavored in the years that followed, with uh, some of the stuff that Dr. Dre did, and then eventually, you know, people like Puff Daddy and, and stuff like that. It was it was an interesting time for that music, and I just can't figure out why I didn't see this film. Um, but yeah, so I was really keen to see it, and um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it sets its stall out really well. I think it's it's very it, it starts things off right. It's it's good at kind of setting you up with everybody. This is who this person is, and this is what their family situation is, and this is what they're about. Um, and it does that kind of well. It it does the whole sort of thing of setting up the white people as as the bad guy. You know, white people are either evil or stupid, um, which puts me in mind a little bit of sort of black exploitation cinema, the way they used to do stuff like that. Um, and, and is probably most notable in kind of the scene where they're, which is actually hilariously funny where they're scaring the guy with the briefcase. Yeah. Um, and, and I enjoyed all that. I think 
if I had one sort of complaint about it, it'd be the way things change. And, you know, the clear turning point in the film is, is around the death of, of a, of a side character called Blizzard. And it kind of gets signposted with the James Cagney white heat scene before. And you kind of get to say, all right, this is where this one character in the group is going to, this is what their path is. This is where they're going to go. Um, and I think the way the rest of the gang, knowing what we know about them, the way they just sort of fall in line with that, despite the fact that, you know, that, that Bishop, that character isn't necessarily that much of a controlling voice within the group before that, and they all have their own moral compass. I had a bit of an issue with how it just sort of like, very quickly, it was just like, you know, there's literally one scene where he's like, oh, we're having a meeting tomorrow. And it's like, oh, right, what's the meeting about? Oh, we're good. we just need to have a meeting. Um, oh, well, I've got this thing. He's like, yeah, we'll just come along because we need to have a meeting. He turns up at the meeting and it's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to rob a convenience store. Well, that's, that's what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed very, it just seemed very sudden and very, like, not in character with what, with what I knew about these people up until this point. It didn't seem to fit with, um, Steele's character or, um, Raheem's character. Raheem's character. They, you know, I didn't get what the motivations were for them to just fall in. I could see what Bishop's motivation was. It was, you know, the juice. But um, I didn't feel that from the other. So I, I enjoyed it, but I think at a certain yeah. point it turned a bit too quickly for me. Mm. I can certainly see that, yeah. Um, Ian, what were your thoughts on it? This is um, your first watch as well, Ian. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I wasn't as into like hip hop and whatnot when I was uh, when this film came out because I was about ten-ish. Why, yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know. I mean, like, and I'm not a massive hip hop guy, and uh, you know, unfortunately, um, Indian, you know, guitar-based alternative music is more is more my scene, if I'm honest. Um, but no juice, white. I don't have any juice. (laughs) I I don't have any juice. I'm sorry. There is no. I. I. I, There is no juice with me. Um, Juice free. (laughs) I. I I am completely juice free. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just water. <laughs> yeah, I know. I am concentrate. I am concentrate cranberry and raspberry. That's what, that's what I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 berry. sorry. You're white berry. <laughs> yeah, that's probably about right, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty much, I, I, I think I'm kind of with you guys, really. I mean, the, I enjoyed the first half and I kind of just tolerated the second half. Um, mm. It's it's fun watching these guys kind of doing what they do. And the start of the film, when you see them all kind of like waking up and getting like starting their day and whatnot, it, it kind of and it, it feels like there's going to be more there. I mean, basically, the only character yeah. background or clue that Tupac's character is going to go in the way that he does is... You see him kind of staring at his dad, who's just staring at the TV, and it's just like, all right, so mm. no one cares about you and your family life, therefore you're obviously going to be, you, you, you're going to grab a gun and you're suddenly going to be all over that shit. It just, it doesn't, it, it, well, it didn't quite. There is actually a, a, a backstory that I didn't get into about his dad uh, that was in the script uh, that was actually cut out of it, out of the film. Uh, where his dad actually was a very kind of low-level thug within a crew who basically, um, they the crew got caught and they essentially needed a patsy to go to jail and he was the patsy who went to jail 
for the rest of the crew and then came out completely fucked up and yes. the, the comatose character that you see in the film. The film totally needed that explanation. It, I mean, it really did. I mean, hmm. the, 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 the thing that doesn't really help is it is Omar Epps who's the main character, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He is yeah, just... Yeah, Q. Yeah, Q, yeah. I mean, his whole kind of, like, his want to DJ and whatnot, when the plot actually kicks in, that is dropped, basically. Um, and hmm. there's nothing else really to his character. He's got that relationship with the nurse, but that feels really undercooked. I mean... It doesn't surprise me that, that that was cut out of the film. It kind of feels like there's a two-hour film here. that, And it's almost like the first 45 minutes was pretty much maybe, like, untouched. But then the last 45 minutes was cut to shit. Hmm. And, and, yeah. and I mean, it's it's got an authenticity to it. I mean, the director is Ernest R. Dickens, Dickerson, who um, I believe started as um, Spike Lee's cinematographer, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um. I think he did, yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure he did. Yeah, and it, it's it, it certainly feels like everybody involved in this film knows this area and knows these people, and it it, it it's I mean it doesn't feel like Whiteberry like writing and directing this film. It doesn't feel like a white person's version of the streets. It feels of a piece with like what Spike Lee was doing, but um, mm. it, it it just. The narrative just doesn't doesn't really quite get there, and that ending is shit. Yeah, I mean the the very end mm. of the film, it, you know, where it's just like, oh, you got the juice now, man. It's just like, well, I, really? Or, uh, I don't. Yeah, you don't feel like he's now become something else. You just feel like, well, no, he was forced into that situation. It's not. It doesn't. It, it feels almost like they thought that the last line and that ending would be more impactful than it actually was. Especially with the the original... Yeah. yeah, The the original um, actual bit before that, you know, where he's holding on to um, Bishop uh, and and because he just, essentially he just, he drops it, doesn't he? He just, you know, it's not that he he doesn't drop him. He just, he can't hold on. Can't hold him, yeah. Uh, Originally it's uh, the original one that was shot and everything um, was he was Bishop had hold of his of Q's arm and Q had hold of his arm as well and they both had like locking arms like that actually lets go of Q's arm and shakes himself free and then shouts the made it mad top of the world line as he's falling uh, and then that would have been too much they they just decided you know what that 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 doesn't work. But it would have made more sense for when he's walking out and it's, you've got the juice now. That bit would have made more sense. His reaction to that would have made more sense, but they just didn't feel it was right, so they actually went back and shot that on pickup. I think for me, it kind of comes down to, like, basic character, character development stuff. I think mm. the way, it, you know, we've kind of touched on the fact that it starts off quite strong and it's enjoyable seeing these characters in their world and they start off with, you know, very simple stuff. They're bunking off school. They're, they want to go out and listen to music. One of them wants to be a DJ. Um, and it sort of almost feels like, you know, a, a, a stand by me coming of age story, but set in a different place or, or, you know, the, the better elements of, of boys in the hood 
So I think with the, the Omar Epps character in this is almost like the Cuba Gooding Jr. character in Boys in the Hood in that he's the, he's the one where they're sort of like, no, there's an opportunity for him. There's something, you know, you you're better than this. You can, yeah. you can get away from all this. Yeah. Um, but it's not emphasized as much in this as it is in Boys in the Hood. So whereas in Boys in the Hood, you see, you see Cuba Gooding Jr. You see Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character fall into bad situations that he can't, you know, it's, this is the way the hood works. This is, you know, regardless of who you are or the fact that you've got, uh, opportunities to make it elsewhere, this is the way the hood works. It's a bad place and bad things happen here. It doesn't, it doesn't take, Juice doesn't take that, it doesn't take the time to do that and allow that stuff to happen. It's all ba- it's all leaning on the decisions of the one character, which is Bishop. And I just, it comes back to the thing that I was saying before. I don't feel that he's got as much of a voice within the group to shift the whole direction of, of, of that group with just, you know, one speech. It's a brilliant speech and, and it's, you know, it really does. I was massively surprised by Tupac in this, massively surprised by how good he was, but as strong as his speech was, as strong as his, you know, are you ready to die speech was, didn't feel, it didn't convince me that it should convince them all of a sudden the next day to completely discard yeah, their moral right compass there. and, and yeah. take a different path. Yeah, it is, it is absolutely, I mean, going back and watching it, I mean, it must be, a, um, it must be about 10 years since I've watched it last. Um, it is strange going back and watching it and noticing that there is such a, a difference in the first uh, 40 minutes and the last sort of hour maybe of, of how of how good the film is like you say there's a point where from about 10 minutes after they commit the robbery that it kind of all starts to like Ian summed it up quite well we say you kind of tolerate that because you're wanting to find out where it goes and if it gets itself back but none of it kind of lives up to the first 40 minutes yeah cause I mean, but, but, and you don't it's not even necessarily that there's a money issue it's, it's not even that they're doing it because they're so poor or anything like that. You know, you've got the one scene where um, he's trying on different trainers and stuff yeah. like that. He's got no shortage of... He's clearly... You know, they go out and they steal records and stuff like that to make a bit of money, but you don't get the... You know, there's not a sick relative or there's not a there's not a really pressing um, financial thing that makes them all decide to act this way. It's just, oh, yeah, this is what we're going to do now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna have to kind of wrap up myself if you guys don't mind, but, um, the, the, it's, it's the fact that the second half of the film is basically Tupac's character's gone a bit nuts, and now it's gonna be him going after the surviving members while Q tries to sort out the situation, and, 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 and try and stop him, and that's about it. There's, there's not an awful lot that actually happens in the second half of the film, whereas the first was kind of all about character and w- was effective for it. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, the first half gave me enough goodwill to get me through it. And I mean, the, the performances mm. were all solid. I don't think anybody was bad in the film at all. Um, I mean, if, if you guys want to carry on talking about it, I mean, feel free. I'll just leave the recording going, but I'm going to have to go in a minute. But um, I, I, I myself would say definitely not shit. Well, I'm I, I'm pretty much. I'd say definitely not shit. Yeah, I've 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 said my piece. I think it's definitely not shit for me. Cool. If you quickly got time to go through the, I've got a couple of questions. Yeah, here. a couple of questions is fine. 
Uh, cool. Uh, right. Uh, first one uh, from. Do you want me to go through them, or have you got? Yeah, them? yeah, do it, man. Go ahead. Uh, I've got Rich Kid uh, at Rich uh, J Kid who asks us. Scorsese, Spielberg, Tarantino, you have to wipe one's filmography from history. Which do you choose and why? Spielberg. Um, because. Spielberg. Uh, uh, it, because it, 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 like Scorsese, no. And Tarantino, no. I mean, mm. that, that's, that's all there is to it. I mean, Spielberg. Yeah. yeah Alright, I, I would lose Jurassic Park. I mean, if we're talking literally just the films and not their, their cultural impacts or whatever, I would lose Jurassic Park. Ah. I would lose Close Encounters. I would lose Jaws. The rest of it, I think I'm uncomfortable with, whereas I would not want to lose Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained. I wouldn't want to lose pretty much any Scorsese film. Yeah, um, mine, uh, just because Scorsese is my all-time favourite uh, director. Um, I get a lot of enjoyment out of Tarantino films. Uh, I accept how uh, good a director on a technical level Spielberg is, but I connect with very few of his, of his films. I'm not going to come out and say he's shit, because he's clearly not shit, but my still my favourite film, Spielberg film, still this day remains Duel, uh, and it was his first film. Uh, so yeah, that would be Spielberg. See, I was, no. I was gonna say, I was gonna say Tarantino because, uh, of the cultural thing. I, you know, I'm not the hugest Spielberg fan in the world. I, but I love Scorsese and I love Tarantino. But I was gonna say Tarantino because effectively, you know, Tarantino wears his influences on his sleeve. However, Scorsese and Spielberg have directed the course of cinema for the last, you know, few decades. Um, but if it was literally a course, uh, just a case of erasing films or erasing a filmography, it'd, yeah, it'd be Spielberg without question. Cool. Next one is Tom at Very Cinematic. Who'd win a fight? Orlando Bloom, Justin Bieber, or Miranda Kerr? Hello, Orlando Bloom. Uh, in reference to, I think, the, the fact that Orlando Bloom threw a terrible punch at Justin Bieber. Is he going to throw a punch at somebody that heinous? Make it fucking count. I'd still um, say Orlando Miranda Bloom. Miranda Kerr. I'd say yeah. Justin Bieber's bodyguard. Good point. I, I reckon Justin Bieber's bodyguard are that pissed off now with him that they kind of go, should we just look away for a second? Yeah. Um, what else have we got? We've also got, again, uh, talking about very cinematic. Um, I was answering our question actually there, which was uh, favourite uh, musicians turned actors, because we're doing Tupac. His favourite is David Bowie, and his least favourite is Mark Wahlberg. Uh, he also asks, uh, will you be covering the Nick Love, Nick Love documentary, Vivian Tupac in the Marathon? We won't be covering the Marathon, but I will be watching it and talking about it at some point during the Marathon. Um, and it's totally very cinematic. Uh, which of the three of you is the best rapper? I'm, I'm taking myself out of this race right now. Mm. Yeah, when white people rap, no one wins. <laughs> I'll agree with you on that one there, yes. Um, although I drunkenly did uh, once, um, me and Jordan uh, drunkenly once uh, rapped Gangster Paradise at each other in a bar in Birmingham. Um, and it was, I was amazed at the fact that we both knew all of the words. That was actually with uh, Duncan, uh, aka Orange Warrior, as well, uh, which was quite amusing. Um Rich Kid, Rich J Kid, uh, says his uh, best uh, musician turned actor is Glenn uh, Hansa, and he's uh, and my great uh, 
Aegon was a once and his worst in All of our questions, we covered one of the questions earlier, uh, I believe. So, yes. Um, Ian, what are we covering next week? Okay, next week, the big cinema releases in between us two, so I'm going to say, Mark, there is a way of us watching Abel Ferrara's uh, Welcome to New York, so I suggest we do that. Yes, um, I, I'm all for that, because then it means I don't have to watch the in between us, which I really don't want to watch. That'll do. Noel, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very Thank you much. Very much. Always a pleasure to be here. Nice. Good. Pleasure to have you. Uh, and the next uh, episode of our two packathon, I believe, is above. No, sorry, it's not. It's not above him. It's uh, 1993's Poetic Justice, Justice. Yeah, I thought which it was. Co stars Janet Jackson. I am already yes. rocked uh, hard for that then. And that's going to do. All right. Have you, have you seen? I'm going to take you haven't seen Poetic Justice. No, I haven't. Right. Cool. <laughs> um, I, I, a game changer, I can sense it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think we've done the best we could with the delay tonight, and um, I, I uh, bless everyone for um, sticking with it. Um, and uh, yeah, again, thanks, Noel. Uh, at Ian Loring, at Dude Files, at Film Rants, uh, at Dude and the Monkey, and Dude and the Monkey at gmail.com. We'll mm-hmm. see you next week, and um, I'm going to go and resume childcare duties. <laughs>